0: It's October 22nd, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local
1: science and tech stories, and then we'll hear about a couple of upcoming events.
0: And Tim Baharin from Creative Strategies is here to tell us about uh, an upcoming event called, uh, well, at the New Tech Meetup. And of course, Melly James is from. The Hawaii Venture Capital Association, and she's going to tell us about uh, what's happening at next uh, week's luncheon. Finally, we'll get an update on the maker community here in Hawaii with Noah Hafner from High
1: Capacity, Ross Mukai from Oahu Makerspace, as well as Trevor Alexander from High Capacity.
0: Have your questions and suggestions ready to call in or tweet during the show. But first, the headlines. A mass of marine debris discovered on the south shore of Kauai provides evidence that at least one mammoth tsunami, larger than any in Hawaii's recorded history, has struck the islands, and scientists say a similar disaster could happen again. A wall of water up to 30 feet high surged onto Hawaiian shores about 500 years ago, triggered by a 9.0 magnitude earthquake off the Aleutian Islands. That event left behind up to nine shipping containers worth of ocean sediment in the Makua-Kwahi sinkhole on... The Garden Isle. The findings are reported in a new study
1: published online in Geophysical Research Letters that tsunami was at least three times the size of the nineteen forty six tsunami, which devastated Hilo and killed one hundred and fifty nine people statewide. Researchers examined deposits believed to have come from the extreme event and used models to show how it might have occurred. And while tsunami of this magnitude are rare events, they do happen.
0: An earthquake on the eastern Aleutian Trench, big enough to generate a massive tsunami like the one in the study, is expected to occur once every thousand years, meaning that there's a 0.1% chance of it happening again in any given year. Uh, Nevertheless, the new research has prompted Honolulu officials to revise their tsunami evacuation maps to account for the possibility of an extreme tsunami hitting the state. The new maps would more than double the area of evacuation in some locations. Um, You know, I had a chance to talk to uh, Gerard Fryer, who Mm -hmm. uh, is one of the scientists over at the Pacific uh, Tsunami Warning Center. And he had told me probably a good uh, six to nine months ago that, you know, they were really looking at Sort of revising the tsunami in, inundation zones, mm-hmm. and primarily because, you know, when all the uh, uh, let's say earthquakes that occur on in South America, and looking at the ocean bottom and how it might affect the tsunami that approaches uh, Hawaii, there's uh you know there's some areas where it's more conducive for that wave to maintain its energy from where it gets originated, and one of those places is the Lucian Islands. It's
1: it's clear sailing. It's from clear up sailing, there. right?
0: Yeah. And if there's a big one. That's the one that's going to have an impact.
1: So that was interesting, though, that they're looking at this Makawahi uh, uh, crater, basically, or uh, sinkhole, and they're finding sea... Um, mm-hmm. elements in there so they know that it went over that 20 to 30 foot wall basically to get there so that's that's pretty significant and although they say there's only 0.1% chance of it happening any year that's the same probability as the Tohoku earthquake in mm-hmm. 2011 so mm-hmm. we've seen that in our lifetime you never know what's ahead so right. we'll be tracking that and of course in other ocean news just this afternoon in fact the University of Hawaii announced a new study that focuses on and I quote big old fat fertile female fish or B-O-F-F-F F boffs that's an acronym with four Fs. Their conclusion is that BOFs are critical to sustain fisheries, ensuring that fish stocks remain sustainable. Unfortunately, BOFs are also targeted by commercial fishing operations and are prized trophies for recreational fishermen.
0: In a special issue of the ICES Journal of Marine Science, UH researchers Mark uh, Hickston and Susan Sorgard compiled research from around the world to determine the global state of big, old, fat, fertile female fish Hickson said in a statement, information on many different kinds of freshwater and marine fish tell the same story. The loss of big fish decreases the productivity and stability of fishery stocks.
1: Those losses, known as size and age truncation, are observed in all fisheries, but larger fish produce far more eggs, and their eggs are generally healthier and hatch into young that grow and survive better. The researchers note that there are ways to save big fish. These include slot limits, which allow only medium-sized fish to be captured, as well as establishing marine reserves where some fish can spawn over their full lifespans.
0: Well, you know, I love these uh, these uh, research papers that, you know, basically kind of tell you the obvious. But you know, unless you write a paper, then it, it becomes part of the you know, sort of the uh, scientific uh, knowledge. Well, I learned
1: about big, old, fat, fertile female fish.
0: Well, so the fascinating <laughs> thing that I found about this was, you know, the, the, the title. And, of course, I had <laughs> to Google that, right? So I Googled B-O-F-F-F-F. And actually, <laughs> this is something that's been written about as way back, at least for this th- document that I right, pulled right. up was 2007. And at that time, one of the Fs was fecanism. And that replaced it was replaced, I guess, eventually by fertile.
1: Well, I would say this boffs is more catchy than
0: that boffs. But, I mean, it, it, there it was really a compilation
1: of previous research, as you noted. Mm-hmm. They noted, for example, the 27-inch bluefish, uh, an omilu, produces uh, 84 times more eggs than a smaller 12-inch fish. So that's, I mean, when you're talking
0: about trying to keep fish stocks sustainable,
1: sure. you need to let them live to get bigger.
0: Well, it makes total sense because, you know, the bigger, the fatter, chances are they're more healthy too, Right. right? We have a couple of quick uh, news uh, bites to share with you. Voice of the Sea, a science and culture documentary series featured previously here on Bite Marks Cafe last week, won six telly awards. The show took home um, a silver telly, the most prestigious award for cultural programming, plus five bronze tellies for educational programming, documentary uh, programming, use of graphics, editing, and videography. Voice of the Sea is broadcast Sundays at 6 p.m. on k 5 and can be watched online at voiceofthesea.org. And ahead on the calendar, Friday,
1: this Friday, brings Summit Fest. It's a collection of arts, culture, and ideas. There's a kickoff party in Kaka'ako, and it's followed by a weekend of keynote sessions that highlight Hawaii's role as an innovation hub for the Asia-Pacific region. Box Jelly CEO Reicheng Fujihira and sustainability expert Shana Trevena will present on Sunday, as will Russell Cheng and Jason Sewell of Dev League. A lot of other familiar names are on that program. For more information, you can go to visit summitfest2014.com
0: Well, and then I saw, you know, of all places on Bishop Street, uh, Leslie Wilcox, and she was telling me that And I want to congratulate them. There's The PBS Hawaii is getting $10,000 from Aloha Petroleum for their building fund. Their new facility. So that's a good thing. Now, joining us is Tim Baharan from Creative Strategies to tell us about the new tech meetup tonight. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Very glad to be with you. Yeah, so tell us, uh, uh, of course, you know, you're well-known. In fact, you know, if people don't know who Tim is, I mean, they should just pick up, a Time magazine, or look <laughs> at uh, NBC or CBS, and you're always quoted. You're in from the Bay, you're in the Bay Area. You're one of the tech uh, sort of uh, um, uh, pundits and and uh, analysts. Analyst. Yeah, yeah, you're you're always tapped to give comment on some of the latest trends.
2: Yeah, my role is, is actually technically is what they call an industry analyst. Mm-hmm. and my role And my job is to keep an eye on all of the big companies and the technology trends. I follow, of course, Apple and IBM and Dell and HP and all the big companies. But we also do a lot of what we would call primary research. We try to look at what is really the big trends, what are going to happen. And, uh, you know, Hawaii is my second home. My family's here, and I've spent a lot oh. of time here over the years. So I love coming back, and especially I've gotten to know a lot of the tech audience over the years. And I just I suggested to Rob and some of my friends that, you know, when I'm here, I'd love to just chat with this audience and kind of tell them what's going on in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Silicon Valley is actually right now at almost at a max. We Our we demand for programmers and um, and uh, engineers is so high, we can't even fill them. And the reason is we're moving into what I call the, the era of connected intelligence. For the last 50 years, and, and tonight I'll actually talk about the cycle, starting with the industrial age and move on. But we've got, we've, we know historically that every cycle is about a 50-year period. And the last actual cycle cycle was based on information and telecommunications. I believe that last year we, we crossed the threshold hmm. – into what we call, what I call the, and and a lot of my friends who are researchers call the, the era of connected intelligence, and and what's really at the heart of it is that all of our devices are going to not only be connected but are going to be smart. Um, there's another term that we kind of use that, and it's thrown around called the Internet of Things yes. mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. define this to some degree, but it's more than that. It's the fact that that you know I'm we're gonna in the next actually it could be very soon 5 to 7 years we're going to have self-driving cars we're going to have billions and billions of chips and sensors in all these devices you know i don't know if people really understand that the the growth already of just one device has been astronomical which are smartphones mm-hmm. we'll sell 2.5 billion smartphones uh, as phones in general of which 70% will be smartphones mm-hmm. in just 2014 uh, you look at Apple's numbers. They were spectacular just in earnings week, yeah. just this week. And um, they sold 39 million iPhones just by one company. We, we're estimating that they'll sell close to 60 million in the holiday season. Bottom line is, we are carrying pockets in our pockets a full computer. Mm-hmm. But it now is going to connect to other things. I'm wearing a smartwatch, my phone is connected to my watch and sends me material. Uh, I may have uh, uh, sensors on my body that that record everything from heart rate and and how many wa- how many steps I walk, etc. Um, we'll talk tonight, for example, uh, sleep uh, number has a bed that has five hundred sensors in it and actually determines and helps helps you analyze your sleep patterns. I mean, the bottom line is we're at a really crucial sh- juncture where technology is going to play a much important, more important role. And so tonight we're going to talk about that and how the Internet of Things is going to work uh, and, and, and especially in the medical area, which I think is going to be one of the most explosive. Mm-hmm.
0: And, of course, I'm interested in your perspectives on what role does Hawaii play in, in all of this. And uh, so uh, we're, you know, you're going to be talking tonight like, right after this show, maybe give us a sense of where that is and, you know, where do people go, you know, at 6 o'clock.
2: I believe it's called The Fix, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Okay. That's
0: right. Uh, Pawahi Street, downtown.
2: Right. And uh, and during that period, I'll have some, uh, spend some time discussing this particular topic and I'll open it up to Q&A. One thing that, that a lot of people know is that I'm actually considered one of the top analysts in the world who've covered Apple, mm-hmm. literally from the beginning. and. And a pretty strong authority on them. Uh, I have spent a lot of time with Steve Jobs when he was alive and a lot of the Apple people.
0: Tell me, were you at the last uh, presentation, Tim Cook and, you know, the iPad mini and the iPad? Yeah,
2: in 30 years, I've only missed two. Wow. Wow. So you're somebody because, you know, not too many people actually get invited invited to that.
0: that.
1: All right. Well, um, I hope f- folks will be able to uh, make their plans and or break their plans and attend your event tonight. Again, that's at The Fix at 80 South Milwaukee Street, um, 6 p.m., but probably doesn't get started by 6.30 p.m. Uh, and thank you for joining us uh, on you. the show, Tim. Now joining us here in the studio is Melly James. She's here at this point representing Hawaii Venture Capital Association. She's going to tell us about their next luncheon event. Welcome to the show, Melly.
3: Thank you, Ryan. It's great to be here.
0: Now... Of course, Melly, you're going to be at the New Tech Meetup, too, so I know we have to get you both out of here. But uh, Mm -hmm. tell us what's coming up with this Hawaii Venture Capital Association luncheon that's taking place on the 30th.
3: Yes, so it's next week, Thursday, on the 30th at the Plaza Club. And um, we'll be hosting a gubernatorial forum mm-hmm. with all four candidates, Four actually. candidates. Yes.
0: Wow, everybody's jumped on the bandwagon. Yes.
3: So David Ige, Duke Iona, Mufi Hanneman, and Jeff Davis. Uh-huh. will all four be there. And I would
1: imagine the theme would be technology, innovation.
3: Yes. The new era of tech of tech and innovation. So, you know, obviously technology and innovation, there's a real renaissance going on right now. There's so much activity um and we are really excited to learn from these candidates you know what they're going to do about it mm-hmm. um you know we've seen more structured policy in the past with act 221 lately we've seen more of um support from government through funds or fund of funds and so we're very curious um with with the new Uh, person coming in, uh, what they're going to do. Are they going to stay on that same path or do something different?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because they've they've gone through a number, and I kind of lost count after, I don't know, 16 or so, but a lot of debates, a lot of forums, a lot of uh, opportunity to share, you know, what they have in mind. But I don't think too many of them were really asked technical, sort of their their vision for technology and innovation Mm -hmm. and, and how they see their role in in um nurturing and enforcing that. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, there're subjects on broadband, subjects on um tax incentives for companies to come to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every municipality has done some kind of a tax break at this point. Um, we haven't seen very much of that and we'd like we'd like to see more. Um, and of course, broadband being being a big topic as well. So
0: what's the uh, format that you envision this uh, you know this panel taking taking place?
3: So it, it will be a forum. Um, and so we'll have questions for each of the candidates and then having a few uh, questions for for all of them to to discuss. We'll also be using Live sift um, where the audience will be able to submit questions to the candidates and um and they'll be they'll be able to answer those mm-hmm.
0: so they'll pretty much just be articulating their vision as opposed to sort of you know not too much interaction between between them it's not a debate Per se.
3: it's not a debate
1: Well I'm kind of uh, curious uh, Melly what were some of the things that you were looking forward to asking them or maybe seeding them to address I yeah. mean, for example on the show today we're talking about makers that's that's pretty pretty much covering a wide swath of the community from education to of course feeders to venture accelerators and such I mean what are some of the pet things that because uh, I know Bert would say let's say open data but for you <laughs> Melly, what would it be that uh, you'd kind of want to put to them first?
3: Well, I think it's, you know, we certainly want to kind of get past all the fluffy questions of, oh, you know, what's your platform on this or that? We really want to get to what are they going to do? Um, And I kind of already mentioned some things on tax incentives broadband um, for especially for some of the organizations I'm in. I'm involved with with the fund of funds, Mm -hmm. the high growth initiative. Um, and being able to support the accelerators and, and various organizations who are bringing people together, especially in the startup scene, um, and we'd really like to see more of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's coming up on the 30th, and, and it's over.
3: Uh, where is it taking place? It's taking place at the Plaza Club, which so, is downtown Honolulu. And this
0: is um, Hawaii Venture Capital Association. What, what is the typical audience that uh, you guys uh, bring out?
3: So, we typically have about a about a hundred people we're mm-hmm. we're hoping this one's gonna actually bring Overflow. a lot a lot more people um We have anywhere from you know v c s investors entrepreneurs um people who aren't interested in in technology innovation and startups um what we found actually is What's unique about HVCA is a lot of people on Bishop Street or a lot of people downtown who are, you know, not necessarily working in this particular industry but are interested in staying abreast of what's mm-hmm. going on. They do come to these luncheons to learn more about how, you know, how they can be involved or even just, you know, what's going on in this in So this So you got a
0: Bite Marks discount for people that <laughs> come and say, hey, I heard about this on Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just
1: say we know Bert. Yeah, right. Um, very quickly, I hope you don't mind, Melly. But Tim, since we have you here and you have this 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 tie to Hawaii, this 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 love for it, but of course, a a almost unmatched understanding of Silicon Valley and one of the places that Honolulu innovators try to emulate or learn from. Um, I, I don't even have an understanding, say, for Silicon Valley, what sort of interaction you see from government policy in California specifically, let's say, and that innovation economy. I mean, is there something that you would say is important for a gubernatorial candidate to have on their mind, or is it more hands-off and let us do our thing? Well,
2: there is a little bit of both. I mean, in, in, in the California we do have significant tax incentives in, in regarded some kind of uh, of areas. Um, uh, Cupertino, for example, had significant ones for Apple when they built they're mm-hmm. building their new mm-hmm. spaceship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, uh, which I
0: think Tim, Tim Cook verified
2: that it is a spaceship. <laughs> pretty much. It was a great <laughs> joke. Uh, but the fact is, the, the the municipalities have done this, and you know, and I worked on your early tax uh, mm-hmm. things about. Fifteen years ago and and have like Millie said i 'm kind of surprised that that has not been brought forward because you mm-hmm. really need to incent people to come and 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 place a bet on in here because so much about innovation starts at a grassroots level right mm-hmm. one of the things i 'm going to talk about tonight and is I believe is a critical part of this is stem, you know which stands for science technology, mm-hmm. engineering, and math. We're doing tremendous amount of programs in Silicon Valley especially, but other parts of the state where we're really getting serious about the fact that our students need to have a fairly good understanding of engineering and math and science because we're going into this new era of which where technology is going to play such an important mm-hmm. role mm-hmm. and we do we need more scientists, we need more engineers, we need all of these people to support that. But, you know, I'm gonna have a self-driving car in the future. And you're going to actually, even though it's driving, you're going to have to know how to operate it. Mm-hmm. Right. Sounds you know strange, but you you're going to have to in, involve these kids. All of us actually, but all, the kids especially, are going to grow up in an era where everything's connected, and their interaction is part of a connected world. And you're going to, I, I you know, our sense in the valley especially is that education. Around tech and science and, and engineering is really critical, not only to to the, for the grassroots and to create more innovators and makers,
4: mm-hmm.
2: as you'll talk shortly, but to literally um, populate that next phase of of growth, whether it be here, Silicon Valley, et cetera. No, I wow. think uh, yeah. yeah, I think that is going to
0: be some great discussions, and I think the, your talk uh, this after, I mean, th- this evening is going to be a good one. I'm gonna, I'm not going to miss it.
1: Right. And, uh, Melly, where can people go for more information on your event on the 30th?
3: At hvca.org. All right.
0: Okay, great. So, uh, thank you, Mellie. Thank you, Tim, for, uh, for joining us. Thank you. And uh, that's uh, what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Ross Mukai and Noah Hafner, along with Trevor Alexander, and we'll... Talk about uh, the local maker scene.
1: How has the maker community grown and evolved over the past year? Of course, we'd love to hear from you. If you're a maker or want to be one, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689.
0: And, of course, we're live back in the studio monitoring Twitter so you can tweet us at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. This is BiteMarks Cafe.
5: Next in our series of conversations with gubernatorial candidates Ige, Hanneman, and Iona, this week we speak with Mufi Hanneman. What's he saying that's shaping the overall conversation about the race and the candidates who all want to be Hawaii's next governor? Find out this Thursday at 5 on Town Square.
2: Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
5: Hi, I'm Joan Borisenko, author of It's Not the End of the World. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about developing resilience in times of change.
0: Sunday morning at 11. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Ross Mukai and Noah Hafter, ah. along with uh, Trevor Alexander. Ross is the founder of Oahu Makerspace, whose goal is it, it, it is to bring hands-on experience building Projects to as many people as possible. Noah, meanwhile, manages high capacity. It recently
1: had a grand opening at the Manoa Innovation Center. We want to talk about that. And with him is Trevor Alexander. He's a master's student of electrical engineering over at UH Manoa, and he's a
0: student liaison for high capacity. And what sorts of creations come out of these maker spaces? We'd love to hear your Questions and comments. And of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Ross, uh, Trevor and Noah, we want to welcome you all to Bike Marks Cafe. Thank you. Thank you. How's it going, Bert? Thank you very much for that. Uh, (laughs) Ross, we want to start with you. And, you know, we've had uh, discussions about makerspaces, uh, but to kind of bring some uh, of our uh, listeners up to speed, uh, tell us a little bit, I mean, we'll have you both tell us a little bit about what your makerspace is sort of focused in on. So tell us a little bit about Oahu Makerspace.
6: Well, Oahu Makerspace is uh, it's a large workshop where people can come and work on any of the projects that they're working on, but they don't have any of the tools, maybe they don't have the resources or the space to work on them at home. So it's kind of like the same way that a gym works, where... You don't want to have all the weights in your house, so you go to the gym to use them there and you pay Mm -hmm. the membership. So people can pay the membership at Wahoo Makerspace and uh, use whatever power tools and equipment and shop space. What sort of special tools do you have? Because every time I check your (coughs) Facebook page, there's something that looks both dangerous yet exciting. (laughs) Yeah, dangerous and exciting. So um, I have to start from the roll-up door and kind of work my way around visualizing the room, but from the door there's... Blacksmithing, metal forging, uh, welding, metal fabrication, plasma cutters, sandblasters, powder coaters. Towards the back, there's a machine shop. We've got a mill and a lathe, CNC router, some vacuum form machines, and a full wood shop with table saw, band saws, planer, joiner, routers.
1: Wow, and your uh, facility is located in Kaka'ako?
6: No, no, no. We moved from Kaka'ako. We're in Kalihi now, 2004 Kaha'i Street. Oh, fantastic. So two new
0: locations. That's right. So both of uh, these uh, represent makerspaces that are in brand new locations. And so we want to talk about what sort of precipitated that move. But before we get to that, Noah, tell us a little bit about high capacity and what is high capacity sort of focus?
5: Well, high capacity is, uh, we call ourselves a hackerspace. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of our members do software professionally or for fun, though we also have um, other projects for either electrical hardware or um, fabrication going on in our space. I'd say a uh, large focus that we have is trying to reach out and help people uh, complete projects for their own, often by uh, providing some additional expertise or knowledge or that kind of thing to
4: mm-hmm.
1: them. Mm-hmm. Now, the Space has been around for a while. I would say it's one of the first, if not the first, and had, um, I, for me, a really Good tie to the startup community, and even though, and I like to call it a hackerspace because there might may be opportunities to lose a finger with the tools, but but I saw a lot of sort of app development and design and engineering there, um, and I would imagine that's still a focus. Uh, but Trevor, um, you are the student liaison, and with the move to the Mono Innovation Center, it sounds like that education might be
7: another pillar that's been added to um, what's going on there. That's absolutely correct, and. Uh, Actually, I was really looking forward for months uh, to the move to the UH area because uh, I've been a member for a couple of years, but that was always out at the Box Jelly, and I was considered kind of the strange one who would wander out there. But I took advantage of a lot of the mentorship uh, that the community has offered because, uh, as Noah said— Basically, you can transfer all that knowledge directly without necessarily special tools, and I kind of want to bring that to all of my classmates at UH both graduate and undergraduate students mm-hmm. so that's kind of been my main activity now while I work on my thesis
0: mm-hmm. so, so um, Noah, I mean one of the things that I, I remember uh, when <clears throat> uh, you know Honolulu maker space or high capacity got started it was all about the Arduinos and and uh, raspberry Pi, pies and working on sort of the electronic Side of the maker kind of movement. Uh, has that uh, pretty much stayed sort of the focus of, of where uh, high capacity is going?
5: Well, as an electrical engineer, that's something that I tend to focus on myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Though we do have a lot of members who do things that may be um, sometimes Internet of Things or web app development or even uh, working with um, apps for handsets or other devices like
1: that. Mm-hmm. Now, Ross, um, you had mentioned you're in a new location, as is the uh, Honolulu Makerspace, the Oahu Makerspace moved. I should say that, in a way, on our show, we've, there's been talk about the, uh, the creative class and the innovation economy and things happening in Kaka'ako specifically. So I think it's pretty interesting that we've seen, in this particular case, finding a new home and perhaps other synergies that can work that's, that, uh, from leaving Kaka'ako. So could you tell us a little bit about how it came to be that you left your Kaka'ako space to
6: move more to Kali? Well, we've been actually looking for a building for almost a year or over a year at now. Um, and um, the hardest part about finding a building, especially for the things that we want to do, because we have a lot of electronics, we can't run, we can't run the, the laser cutter, the CNCs, or you know, next to each other. We can't have the dust from one machine getting into like a 3D printer or um, the the laser. So we needed a balance of quiet and clean space and loud shop space where you could do whatever you want. And that's kind of hard to find in a warehouse. From the, all of the real estate people that I've talked to, um, I think I've talked to about 11 of them you know, over the past year or so. Mm-hmm. And um, shop space, warehouse space, Intes- intensive industrial where we can do welding and we can burn metal. Um it's it's very mm. at a pre, very much at a premium in in town we didn't want to move too the far away yeah. yeah so
0: so was uh was the location in Kaka'ako uh sufficient to address the need that you had, and what was it that uh, i know you said you were looking for a year and was it because you wanted to find some place that was more suitable was it larger was it you know was it uh, something that uh, you needed to perhaps expand into? What was it that really drove you to look elsewhere?
6: Well, the, the thing that really drove us to look elsewhere was that we our original location we were subleased inside of a wood shop, mm-hmm. and it was the perfect place to do any of the wood sh- woodwork that you wanted to do. But when it came to welding or when it came to digital fabrication and you had to sit down somewhere and do the CAD work, there really wasn't anywhere to do it. When you had a class going and you wanted to teach people... Um, how to work with this stuff? How to work with the digital tools? How to work with the high tech stuff? Um, you had to fight the dust, so that was really the only challenge. Um, finding a place, being in Kakako, um, there was a, there's like a boom going on right, right now, right. and everybody wants to move into Kaka'ako. but we're we're not too into um, having the perfect location. The perfect location for us is somewhere where we can do pretty much anything that we want without anyone complaining about, Mm -hmm. oh, you guys have a rocket engine in your front (laughs) yard. Or or
1: What was that explosion? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I got you. you. Now, Noah, so... uh, Uh, high capacity, also relocated from um, working very closely with, say, the Box Jelly and and all of that to the Manoa Innovation Center. But it is the Manoa Innovation Center. It is a University of Foy facility. So how did that conversation go? And um, what is it that uh, you think you're going to achieve that you weren't able to before in your old location? Well, obviously, uh, the Box Jelly
5: is a very uh, interesting place, and there's a lot of innovative things happening there. Uh, Part of our um, benefit that we hope to To get and what we have already been seeing by moving up into Manoa and much closer to UH is a um, a reduced friction for interacting with students, helping them, benefiting from their participation, Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And uh, we're still looking to collaborate with Box Jelly and work with them and their members on various things. So it's sort of um, in in some ways like branching out to get a wider.
0: No, no. Was that was that a um, was that a planned? thing or was that an unintended consequence?
5: Unexpected opportunity, perhaps. I guess it's something that um, it was an opportunity and
1: we were able to make use of it. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you working, uh, I would imagine, one of the great things about being in at the in, in MIC, at Minoah Innovation Center, is interactions with some of the other tenants there. or oh, we're also trying to do interesting things.
5: Yes, and that, that is something that maybe we didn't expect as much as we should have, but it's been a very welcome surprise. And so so come down.
0: was it um, was there some point in time that you uh, had this sort of re- revelation and and then sought out MIC or was there some a mutual benefit that really came to light that attracted you to the MIC location?
5: Well, I think uh, it's something that we thought we, we had some thoughts of various places that we could move. And. Um, I don't remember exactly how we ended up considering strongly for the MIC, but once we did, it was—it seemed like, compelling. Yeah, right. it
0: almost seems like a, a natural thing to do, and I'm, I'm glad that that happened. You know, we're we're talking to uh, Noah Hafner and. Um, Trevor Alexander, as well as uh, Ross Mukai from uh, Oahu Makerspace. And we're talking about the uh, Makerspaces here in uh, Honolulu. And, of course, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to give us a call. The number is 941 3689 Or from the neighbor islands at 877 941 3689. And I did put out the call to any of the makers that are located elsewhere. And we do have on the line uh, Jerry Isdell from Maui, who is uh, sort of like the head, uh, the the tip of the spear. Yeah, for the Maui makers. And Jerry, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe.
8: Aloha, friends. It's good to hear you again, and I'm glad I managed to get tuned in in time for this uh, on several levels here. Oh, wow, that's
0: great. Yeah, so, so tell us a little bit about what's, uh, what's happening on Maui, and what, 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 if, uh, what has Maui Makerspace uh, been doing lately?
8: Well, we, uh, we've been around for five years um, in various capacities. This past year, we actually got enough people together to incorporate and become a 501c3. Yay! Wow,
0: that's that's a great uh, undertaking. In fact, I I saw your Facebook post uh, saying that you you did do that and it, it you you filled out one of the um, the new EZ form.
8: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was really surprising to me, but the ha- the history I've seen from everybody else uh, in makerspaces spaces across the country uh, that oh my god, it's taken us years to get through this process. That when we filled in our form and sent it in and. Uh, August September, um, with I got back on island um, a couple weeks ago, and boom, it was done.
0: Well, you know, okay, so maybe you know, maybe as this conversation uh, continues, we'll talk a little bit about the business models for makerspaces. But as a nonprofit and going through the EZ form, I mean, the EZ form is compelling because it, it is only like I think what three pages or four pages, and but one of the criteria for the EZ form is that the uh, the nonprofit Cannot make more or bring in more than fifty thousand dollars, and as a as a makerspace, I mean, you might be pretty close to making that, you know, uh, you know, in some time in the, in your future. What what what? You know, what's your thoughts on that?
8: Um, we'll cross the bridge of success when we get to it. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, at this point in time, um, I haven't. I don't. You know, bringing in fifty thousand um, dollars. We may have to do that in order to find enough rent, but, um, or if we wind up getting another major grants, but uh, nothing like what we've, uh, like that could cover even begin to hit the 50K.
4: Mm-hmm,
8: mm-hmm. Um, well, I suppose you could blow that in, in rent easily, but finding where, where that would come from. Um, I, I envy uh, the guys over there in Oahu, even though you've um, uh, been struggling with spaces, uh, um, at least you've got some cool ones, and I like the, uh, the splits that have, have happened in, in how you set up the different spaces, um, and I, this is some of the, the Monaco Innovation Center move for high capacity was the first I heard of it. So, uh, What about, what about uh,
0: for, for Maui? I mean, where are you located now, and, and does, it make, uh, does it make any sense to be, let's say, closer to, let's say, the uh, uh, Maui Technology Center and, and uh, you know, some of the facilities that they have over there in Kihei?
8: Well, that's one of the things we are uh pretty much at this point a a, a virtual space and that we do not have a home we have a container uh down in Punene uh that has some of our equipment in it um we have use of different facilities around the island uh for meetings and for storage and so forth but we haven't found in a decent place that would everybody could say this is where we're going.
4: Mm-hmm. Given
8: that we've also just incorporated, um, and we now have, and thank you, now have a board that's running it after all the years of being the, the main cheerleader. I'm really happy we have a board of directors and strategic plans and a bunch of people who have stepped up and said, "Let's get this thing rolling as a community." That's been something that uh, you guys in Oahu and our friends in uh, in Hilo seem to have been doing very nicely. At least having groups going along, and I think the guys in Kauai, hopefully they'll show up somehow and, and talk about what they're doing. I'd love to catch up with that. We are still virtual. We're working really hard right now on where we will be as a location, uh, doing some of the outreach programs and so forth. We've got a couple of possible locations. The one that, that's always a big problem is, what's your business model? How are you going to pay $2,000 a month in rent? hmm and where are you going to get enough people to bring in that much to cover that rent without it going into you know, somebody shelling out of their pocket all the time for it?
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
8: It's a classic problem across the the nation with maker spaces. What's your business model?
0: Right, right. So uh, you know, I, I gave uh, both uh, Ross and, and Noah a chance to talk a little bit about their uh, segment of the market that they are focusing in on. What do, what would you say, Maui Makers? You know, over the course of the last five years, what what is it that you Seem to have a, a focus on is it is it taking it out to the schools is it um, you know what are, what are you guys doing I guess what could you point to as being some of the, the key achievements?
8: Um, well, we've had uh, part of a, the issue we've had is a defocused focus. Um, I have been running uh, Maui Makers, and I run in several different directions, um, and a makerspace runs and the direction that most of its members are running in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had people doing a whole lot of different projects. I'd say probably the biggest thing that went through Maui Makers was the Space Gambit program, right? Uh, which was a half-million-dollar DARPA project that I wound up administrating for the last two years. It um, kind of deflected me from a lot of doing things with Maui Makers and trying to get everything going there as well. Um, there were several projects by Maui Makers that were funded through that, uh, which is really cool to see, you know, bringing at least some of the dollars locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of those projects went to uh, the Maker Fair in New York recently, uh, where NASA headquarters and, and NASA people who were uh, related to the project all looked at it and said, Wow, this is wonderful! And so there may be some business opportunities for the makers that worked on that.
0: Well, oh, sounds good. So, so uh, Jerry, you know we're going to take a break, but uh, you know you're more than welcome to to hang in there, and and uh, we'll we'll bring you in on uh, occasion if you're if you're okay with that. Sure, so, I'll
8: I'll be listening. You guys have uh, the show on hold, music. So that's all cool. right,
0: okay. So I uh, want to want to hold that, and then we'll be right back after the short break to continue our conversation with Ross Mukai and Trevor Alexander and Noah Hafner, and maybe Jerry, who uh, will will bring in on occasion about the Hawaii makerspace. What needs to happen to grow this market? Of course,
1: we'd love to hear from you as well. I know there's Hilo makers, Big Island makers. You can reach us uh, at 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands or 941-3689 from here on Oahu. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
0: Appalachia is often depicted as an idyllic
7: rural life. But more and more it's a key setting in horror films. The rural coded as the monster. So a lot of bad humans, humanoid cannibals included, and even some zombies and witches. Appalachia in the movies. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Thursdays
5: at six thirty on Hawaii Public Radio.
0: Hi, it's Lynn rosetto Casper. This week, Dory Greenspan talks to the famous Danielle Belou about how you keep a restaurant great for 20 years. We get the best of non-chain steakhouses from the Stearns, and we look at the pleasure and panic surrounding candy. Join us. That's The Splendid Table from APN. Saturday morning at 9, following Weekend Edition. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I am Bert Lum.
1: And I am Ryan Ozao. And we're talking to Ross Mukai from Oahu Makerspace. Noah Hafner and Trevor Alexander from High Capacity and On the Line, we believe, is Jerry. Isdale from Maui
0: Makers. And we're talking about nurturing the maker community. And how does the uh, Makerspace differ on Oahu versus the neighbor islands? And, of course, you can give us a call. 941-3689 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 and we want to hear from the Big Islands. if if uh, one of our friends on the Big Island who's got a maker movement happening there give us a call. And of course, uh, right before the break we're talking to uh, to Jerry, but I wanted to you know have um uh Ross give us a sense of, you know, this there is a a sustainability model that needs to be considered when doing any kind of business and and, uh, you know, Ross, you guys have moved into a bigger space. Uh, I, think, I think it probably has more capability for you to do all the things that you want to do. I, I'm, I'm excited about that rocket engine that, uh, <laughs> you know, Ryan mentioned. Uh, how, what, what, what sort of business model do you see having, you know, you know having in place basically to, to sustain your operations over time?
6: Well, I still actually work a full-time job, so I run the makerspace at night. Um. So, I mean, that being said, my business model is basically working all day. So, I work <laughs> 24. <laughs> work all, yeah, I work now, 24
0: hours a day. Uh, um, you know, is your is your full time job in in the sort of making
6: business? Or? No, actually, I'm an IT guy in the daytime, and then at night I'm a machinist. So we turn out jobs um, in the shop at night. I do some lathe work. I do a lot of CNC work at night, and then uh, I work as an IT guy during the day.
0: Okay, and so the IT guy in the day is totally unrelated to maker activity.
1: Yep. Oh. Well, so it actually kind of sounds like you're, you're the, the, the higher level of person who has a garage shop. You know, you work during the day, you do whatever you've got to do, but at night you get to build things and make things. But you have a larger space, more expensive equipment, and uh, hoping to uh, reach with the community. And I guess people like with a gym membership, helping to pay for
6: uh, some of that more advanced equipment that the average person doesn't have in their garage, correct? My hope is to move away from me making all the parts and doing all the projects, and we're slowly moving away from that, and now I'm working on people and helping people do the projects that they want to make, and then if something easy comes along, I'll hand it off to them and say, here, you can learn how to do this, and a lot of times it'll be something that they've never seen before, and they can learn something new and do something they've never done before.
1: Do you have a target for the number of members paying every month that would make things seem, if not profitable, but, you know, sustainable and something that you would continue to do and love to do without it being
6: a drain on you personally? It's not a drain. I I would do this um, no matter what. Wow. But I would say sustainably are, we'd probably want to think about expansion at about 75 members.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, do you see it going, you know, primarily – as a evening operations or at some point in time when you have enough people wanting to work on their projects, you know, they might want to access the facility during the day. So then that might require perhaps a manager or somebody,
6: you know, on staff running operations. At that point, I'll probably move my IT job to the third shift and then work at the shop during the day. or And then gradually we'll we'll hire someone during the day. And at that point, I will feel... Very successful for having created a job for someone. Oh, nice. okay. That's dedication. Well, Ross, I definitely love
1: your passion. Yeah. Now, Noah, for High Capacity and now at the Manoa Innovation Center with some synergies that you can build with the university as well as with the other tenants, um, how is uh, High Capacity sustainable or how will it be? What is the model that you foresee in keeping it going moving forward? Well,
5: let's say uh, monetarily we do have support from our members and we're hoping to both have more members join us to spread that out um, to a larger base and also to um, find funding from other sources that will help offset the cost for our members or to allow us to get more things to offer more benefits for our members. Mm-hmm. When you're in the
1: educational space, I would imagine maybe grants could be one of the funding paths you could take.
5: That is that is one of the things that we, we – are actively um, working on right now.
0: So, so as a as a organization is is a high capacity going down the nonprofit path, or what business model or business, uh, let's say, uh, structure are you looking at building?
5: Well, we're not currently registered as a nonprofit, although that's something we've looked at, mm-hmm. and it's something that we are not looking to be. You know, rolling around in bags of money from our activities with high capacity. But by the same token, we do need even as a nonprofit, we would need to have enough money to uh cover rent, to cover supplies, to bring in things for people to work with, or to uh fund outreach activities for people outside our space.
0: No, no, Alexander, uh you know, I'm I'm really glad to hear that uh, uh students in the double department are oh, Trevor. <laughs> Trevor Alexander. I mean, you know, they're kind of both it's part fine. of your name. Uh, you know, in, in terms of um, the students getting involved, uh, and of course, you know, students don't operate on on sort of a high revenue model, right? So they're <laughs> probably coming in saying, "Hey, <laughs> hey, Noah, uh, you know, can I, you know, can I join your operations for I don't know what whatever whatever the discount rate is?" Um, but but what I think is really cool is that. You know, if electrical engineers can get involved with some hands-on, and, you know, I'm an electrical engineer, but I never really – I mean, I could, you know, maybe build a clock or, you know, do some kind of cool little circuit board, right? But – You got to come up to high capacity. Yeah. Come have fun with us. <laughs> I'm going to relive my, my college days. <laughs> uh, but – Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So from a, from a student liaison standpoint, uh, are you seeing a lot of students kind of express interest in, in getting hands on and, you know, getting into the Arduino and, and, you know, building something with their raspberry Pi? I mean,
7: oh yeah, you're, you're absolutely naming all the right things. And, you know, I've gone straight from undergrad to master's, so I've, I've lived that. And, uh, I can definitely say that, that students definitely don't have the money. And so we offer students a discount rate, uh, immediately Mm -hmm. and uh also we also want students to both feel free to enough to bring in the ideas that may not fit within you know the university's kind of framework or if they want to try something new that maybe their professor hasn't even heard of or if they just need mentorship to know about what works or what they should try or what's the next thing Mm -hmm. we want to provide that kind of stimulating but also like really unrestricted environment where they don't have to feel pressured by money by uh somebody's demands by any of those things and uh so I I consider that as as something that that I just volunteer and do, and the students need to benefit from that.
0: No, no, Trevor. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you before you know we <laughs> we run out of time, and I want to get my question in, is the idea of the open hardware kind of uh, opportunity or movement. You know, we we're sort of the open open guys, and I'm curious in terms of, let's say, 3D printers and getting a design that maybe is uh licensed under Creative Commons. I mean, do you see more
7: opportunity to
0: build stuff that's based on sort of an open hardware framework?
7: Absolutely. And uh, I think number the biggest reason for this, and you'll see it play out over the long term, is that uh, there are things that ne- don't necessarily have a business model right away. They don't necessarily have a big market, and they might not be you know academically something that will win a big grant. Mm-hmm. But there's a demand out there, and those things – Will be met by people who are hobbyists or people who are working in the community, and they want to build something that has that kind of groundswell kind of uh, development. And those things, I think, are the perfect target for open hardware. Mm-hmm. If we have time, I can give you a long example. But you yeah, let no, me know. no, we'll
0: you know we'll, we we'll probably have another show about open hardware. But you know, if somebody had an open hardware idea, like let's say you know they found a, a design for let's say monitoring for little fire ants and they wanted to build something and they wanted to, but they didn't have the, you know, let's say resources. Could they come to high capacity and and actually work something out with, you know, the the team there and say, hey, can you guys help me build this sort of open hardware uh, sensor that monitors for invasive species?
7: Oh, absolutely. That would be, we would be overjoyed grinning Mm -hmm. ear to ear if somebody came in and told us that. And uh, honestly, that's that is exactly the kind of people we're looking for. If you have some kind of idea or curiosity, please bring it to us, and we will we will grow it with you.
0: So maybe maybe Jerry on Maui. I mean, you guys got some uh, some fire ants out there in in I think <laughs> uh, near the, the the Hana area, right? I mean, uh, maybe there's an open hardware project that could result from this.
8: Uh, quite definitely, I'd love to see some. Um, there, there's a lot of different levels. That, that would be fun to do it on I, I tend to be a, uh, have a very broad definition of, of making and activities in that um, there were some really cool ones that came up at TEDx here in Maui a couple weeks back uh, with the HANA as you mentioned it but that was
0: I think it's in KNI, right they they found a spot that had a bunch of fire ants over there
8: yeah yeah um, there's some really interesting ones there was uh, there were some hotels that have found it. And that's been hushed up as well.
4: Mm-hmm,
8: mm-hmm. Uh, now, you got to be careful about right. where you say much and how much. But, um, yeah, uh, it would be fun to do some monitoring on that, some field work with tablets and so forth.
6: Huh. Well,
0: Good maybe, place for an app. Yeah, and, you know, who knows? Maybe there's an open hardware solution for, you know, monitoring for those rhin- rhinoceros uh, you know, beetles, right? In Mililani. I'm going to be keeping an eye that's out. That's right, those. yeah.
6: You know, it's going to be the next challenge in Oahu is going to be Cokie frogs.
0: Cokey <laughs> frogs, frogs is another one. I mean, there's got to be a bunch of you know interesting sensors, and you know that we could we could uh, build some kind of hardware, get you know get the word out to people, make them you know. Well, anyway. So, uh, with, uh, with uh, Trevor's role as a student um, at, uh,
1: liaison, I can see they're sort of trying to create this pathway for people to become makers. If you're going to grow your maker spaces and make them sustainable, then membership is key. And that means people need to be aware of it and the benefits and the creativity that it can foster. Um, and so, Jerry's looking for a space. Uh, Ross is doing it out of love, but surely doesn't necessarily want to do everything all the time, everywhere by himself. So, I think one of the questions is how do you? you grow the maker community. Jerry, you're isolated on Maui. How, how are you finding a way to to increase the population of people like you?
8: By going out to schools and uh, talking to people. A big part of what maker spaces need to do is make makers. Mm-hmm. Um letting people know that you exist and you're doing things getting the word out about open meetings Um i was just up at seabury hall this uh, week uh... meeting with teachers and students there and talking about maker spaces and there's a lot of interest in schools doing maker spaces there's a lot of interest in libraries doing maker spaces getting these other organizations and other institutions to have makers in their space or people doing maker activities brings people around to the makerspace itself hopefully sit down the line making makers um, i don't know if they have it over on oahu but over here the ace hardware folks ha- are doing a lot of the hardware science weekend projects where you'll go to an ace hardware on the weekend and they have little workshops for the kids and they have a hardware project that the kids can do at the Ace Hardware Store, and the kids get to take home a project, and they've learned how to use a hammer or a screwdriver or something um, <laughs> that someday they'll come back to Ace and buy more of. Well, uh, these are kits that Ace is selling nationwide uh, and on their website. Which is pretty cool. Um, so there's other organizations out there that are doing this stuff and partnering with them and outreach to them is a big part of building your makerspace.
0: So that's cool, Jerry, and you sort of help uh, uh, do a little lead-in for uh, you know the idea of making makers and the sort of maker fair that happened uh, this earlier this year. Ross, I mean, what you guys participated in maker fair, uh, you know, I guess what earlier this year. What's the what's the plan for?
6: Do you have any ideas of what's going on with maker fair next year? the fair is was that March 9th 2015? Uh, we're going to be May 9th e- or May May 9th 2015. We're going to be at Elani School again. Um last year we brought out a bunch of machines and we probably brought too many machines, but we just had them all out there <laughs> doing stuff and it was Yeah, great. you guys had a great setup. I mean, you had a bunch of machines. I think we had an Eggbot, two 3D printers and a CNC router. Mhm. The CNC router was pretty pretty difficult to move yeah I, I gotta hand it to you. I mean, we made a lot of people's day. It's not exactly
0: like the portable you know, yeah portable yeah. like you know Arduino, you can sort of take that anywhere right, but take a lathe somewhere <laughs> yeah so so um noah i mean what's uh what's your thoughts on the Maker Fair coming up, and how do you guys see growing that community of participants
5: well it we had a lot of fun at the previous one, and it was great seeing the large crowd there. So I think it was a great success, and I hope that the next one will be uh, bigger, better, funner, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
5: And uh, hopefully the both the people who participated last year will get to do it again this year with even more people to join in. Mm-hmm. And hopefully now that it's happened once, we can have more people showing up to – benefit from the event.
1: No, I liked that it was an inclusive event. You had of course people who did cosplay and they made costumes, they were they were interested in science fiction or other fandom. They were there. There was the Aloha knitters, people who knit because knitting is making, you know. And I think making people think of that, uh Hawaiian quilters, that would fit fit into that category as well. So, um if somebody was interested in becoming involved, because I think it was a volunteer uh, operation and a very difficult, a uh, lot of work for a lot of people to, to pull together, um, where would you send them or how, how would you tell them to get in touch? Because April seems like it's a long time away, but knowing for an event that size, time's running out.
5: Well, certainly, I think there's going to be some meetings coming up very soon now to prepare for the event next year. And um I can't think off the top of my head what the website is for Maker Faire, but Mm -hmm. certainly I think contacting uh, Oahu Makers or high capacity would be an easy way for us to point someone in the direction of the organizers for Mm -hmm. Maker Faire.
0: And Trevor, you know, from a a student standpoint, are you starting to think about how the students might uh, coalesce around some demonstration at the upcoming Maker Faire?
7: Well, definitely students are always interested in just doing something cool, Mm -hmm, whatever it mm -hmm. is. You know, they have that really like nascent energy about them they have the curiosity or they have something that is almost an idea it's almost ready to go and I think that if we just say you know here's a chance to show it uh, they'll they'll move on it uh, I can say that having done those kinds of things myself so you were, and you were there students. did you yeah uh, yeah I volunteered uh, last meeting
0: and, and what part uh, did you play at that la- uh, you know this last uh, Maker fair
7: uh, I taught uh, people who had never soldered in their life oh okay you were downstairs at yeah. the, the soldering sort of uh, workshop that was great yeah yeah nobody uh, burned themselves that's
1: always a good <laughs> sign. So to look for more information on the Honolulu Mini Maker Fair, the website is makerfairhonolulu.com, But I would say another good place to go, of course, is the Honolulu Mini Maker Fair community on Facebook. You can search for that. But now that we're in the mood for sharing websites, people want
6: to learn more about Oahu Makerspace. Uh, Ross, where do they go? Uh, OahuMakerspace.com. We also have Facebook.com slash Oahu Makerspace. Fantastic. Pretty and easy.
1: Noah for high capacity.
5: Uh, the high-capacity website is a good place, and that's
0: highcapacity.org. And, and Jerry, Jerry, where can they find more about the Maui Makerspace?
8: The uh, primary space is MauiMakers.com, which is under revision. Um, the other one is on Facebook. Yes, we are Maui Makers. I believe it is no space in between those. And we also have a Google group. Um, and for those that don't want to go on the Facebook.
4: Okay,
0: all right, all right. I'd
8: like to note on something on the, uh, the Mini Maker Fair.
0: Sure, quickly.
8: It was great, it was wonderful, and I'd love to see outer islands and the islands like mine get over there more. We had a booth... Uh, if there's some way we could get funding somehow to get more of makers over there, it's expensive to get there. Yeah. All right. I
0: hear you. So, Ross Mukai is the founder of Oahu Makerspace. And, of course, Jerry on the line at the Maui Makers. And we also have Noah Hafner and Trevor Alexander, who both are involved with high capacity. I want to thank you all for joining us today.
1: It's wonderful to be here.
0: Thank you. And if you
1: uh, want, we want to thank everyone for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You can join us next week while we talk about open access and open education resources. And
0: if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And
1: you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David
0: Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Owl John and a song called Red Hand. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.